Welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 56, with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg, featuring Major League Rugby Player of the Week, Troy Lockyer. Well, a very warm welcome, folks. It's the kickoff podcast yet again. Week two of Major League Rugby is done and dusted, and uh, it was an exciting week of rugby. Dan Power with you, joined by the mercurial Peter J. Steinberg. Pete, good weekend for you and me, mate, but how, how's the week been so far? Well, you know, I'm, I'm looking fondly back on like the opening uh, inaugural year of Major League Rugby when there were seven teams and only three games to watch. It is tough to get to watch six games each week, but it's great. I feel like I feel like um, we're in mid-season form, Dan. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling like in, in some rhythm, ready to go again this weekend. Well, I know. And uh, the, the difference from week one to week two were, was fantastic. Just the improvement. But uh, we, we actually, Pete, we're going to dive into our Player of the Week segment because he's on the East Coast. Uh, the magic man has come all the way. Uh, Hal Norton Jr., that's his... Old name. He's actually had a name change to Troy Lockyer now. Troy, thanks for joining the show, brother. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to. Well, I, the big question is, what was Greg McWilliams doing in week one, hiding you uh, out the back, or did you have a did you have a show in Vegas that you couldn't play, um, <laughs> mate? You were outstanding on the weekend. Where did that come from? Um, so I actually, uh, unfortunately, had a bit of a shoulder issue in one of the preseason games. Um, so that put me out for a few weeks. Uh, and then I kind of missed out on the selection for that first game and then got cleared for that second game. And then obviously just with Will Leonard uh, having a bit, having his ban uh, and obviously Bastro moving to eight kind of opened a bit of a spot in the center, center position. So got the call up um, and yeah, I kind of went from there. So, so Troy, you know, you, you have an interesting um, rugby background. You're from... Um, uh, Cumbria, but you went to Eton, um, played uh, played rugby at Eton, and then chose to go to Cal Berkeley, which was uh, um, an interesting choice. You had some um, age grade representation at different levels um, in the in, in England. So, talk talk to us a little bit about what what brought you to the US and and um, why you made that decision as opposed to maybe taking a more traditional route to one of the uh, um, one of the UK schools. Yeah, so the thing is, um, so basically Eton, there was a, actually quite a lot of boys end up going to America for university. Um, not really for rugby or anything, just, just for university in general. Or, or a lot of guys go rowing, go for rowing as well. So they kind of go to those the big East Coast schools, like the Yales, the Princetons, and go out there for rowing. Um, and I was always so interested in going to America, like never been there on holiday, but always had this like dream of like going to California, like going to New York. Um, and I kind of knew about rugby in America, how it was growing and, you know, everyone talking about the fastest growing sport. Um, so I kind of just wondered, you know, maybe there were some universities that were looking to get rugby players, you know, come, come and get scholarships or whatever, um, similar to how some of my friends were doing for rowing. Um, so I literally just like, went on to Google and just searched like best American universities for rugby um, and just sent out a load of emails, just kind of saying what, I was, what I've done, what I'm doing and kind of what I was like, interested in doing as well um and got some responses um and then kind of went from there and managed to go out and do some visits with my mom like a few years before I actually like went there um and yeah kind of just saw some of the places went to UCLA 
went to Stanford, went to uh, Berkeley, um, and talking to a few others, and then yeah, I kind of just fell in love with Cal as soon as I got there, and kind of just put all, all my eggs in one basket and went for that. So, so you know, you're you're an English guy. You you land in in San Francisco, and and you head to Cal as an 18 year old. Um, what was the biggest shock that you had when you when you got on campus for the first time? Um, well, I actually so a lot of. Uh, a lot of the foreign guys, so there were quite a few foreign guys on the rugby team, but all of the other foreign guys all went with their families. So they kind of arrived with their, with their mums, the dads or whatever. Um, I actually went out on my own. So I kind of got there with like my one bag, my 20, 25 kg bag, my limit to get there um, and started moving into my shared dorm um, with, no, with no American bank account, with no American number. Um, so immediately it was kind of just like going around in this new country trying to work out what on earth Wells Fargo was, trying to work out what uh, what phone to get, like just kind of, you know, just doing those kind of things, which sounded, can sound right now pretty mundane, but actually at the time was pretty nerve wracking. I was kind of realized, you know, this is something completely different, you know, going to a new country. Um, and just and it turns out, yeah, I, I actually experienced that a little bit older than you. I was 23, but I came over as a grad student and exactly the same thing. I turned up on the first day of term, which turns out was 10 days before classes started. Yeah. So I was like on campus and there was no one else there. But yeah. it is, it's, 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 you know, you, you think we both speak English, but um, it's actually as different as any other country. And so that integration can be quite tough. Yeah. And I think it was also funny. Um, <laughs> so basically, I'd, so I've been at school. So I went to Eton and then before that, I went to a prep school called Days Girls. And both of them were all boys. So I literally from nine to 18, I had this whole period of like no girls at school and going to an all boys boarding school. And then got to university in California and suddenly was having lectures with like girls and stuff. And literally I was just like, <laughs> it was just a completely new experience, which is quite funny. <laughs> I'm yeah, sure yeah. your grades didn't suffer at all in that first uh, semester there either, Troy. <laughs> of course not. No. Tricks so good there. recruiting tip for colleges in America. Just buy out Google AdWords, best rugby college in America, and you'll get Troy Lockyer yeah. coming and playing for you. Exactly. Mate, let's talk about your performance on the weekend. Uh, outstanding game. Two tries, Stood out, the, the one at the set piece was absolutely beautiful off Cahill Marsh. But 12 carries, 175 metres. Very busy with the ball in hand. We saw you play a little bit at Cal, but tell us a little bit about the style of play. You Obviously, you prefer outside centre or don't really care anywhere in the back line? Yeah, so I actually, um, so I actually probably put down my first position as 15. Um, but I was at Richmond before I came here for a couple of months when I was back in England after I graduated. And I was playing 13 there. Um, so kind of, you know, got a few months and playing a few games at 13. So I actually started getting a bit used to that position. Um, so, yeah, I kind of consider that probably my second position, but probably not really much different to me as a 15 um, as far as, like, like my qualities and stuff. So, um, yeah, that's what I would kind of say, yeah, 15 and 13, and then probably on the wing as well. And who are some of the guys you watched growing up? I mean, you've got a guy in your team at fullback who was probably pretty prolific when you were younger, yeah. uh, Ben Foden. But any any guys you watched growing up, you try to model your game on? Um, well, actually, just quickly, the funny thing about Ben is actually, uh, so we used to, I used to go with my dad. And when we used to live near, uh, we actually used to live near Manchester. So we used to go and watch Sale. Um, and so I remember literally going with my dad and watching like Foden play. Um, so it was a pretty surreal experience to them be in Vegas rooming with them. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, I think the big guys when I was, when I was, especially when I was turning into a fullback, I used to love watching Israel Dag. Um, 
yeah, he was kind of one of the guys, like slightly more, like a bit more of a rangy fullback. I used to love like, you know, his like goose steps and stuff. I was literally used to, I remember like watching his videos and being like, oh, I want to be able to goose step like that. Um, but he was a massive uh, like role model for me. Um, I also used to love watching Sonny Bill Williams. Obviously, don't quite possess the same physical qualities as him. But I always like to try and bring some form of offloading game into my, into games. So I guess I kind of a bit of that comes into it as well. Would have been great if you and your dad were abusing Ben Foden and he remembered as you walk into the room, you go, hey, I actually remember you, buddy, from up in sale. But, uh, yeah. No, yeah, Sonny Bill, I don't think uh, anyone's a physical specimen like that guy. So don't feel bad about that, buddy. Yeah. So you, you went back, um, you were working in London. Um, how did the connection with Rooney happen? Uh, so I was in, so when I did All-Americans this year, the 15s, uh, we had a camp in Colorado. Um, and at that time, the Eagles were training as well. Um, so we had one day where we actually did uh, a training session and then a match with against the Eagles. Um, so we were doing some some set piece moves against the Eagles, and the Eagles were doing some set piece moves against us. Um, and Greg was leave, was leading the leading the session. Um, so obviously met him there. Obviously, I guess kind of saw something that he liked in me, um, but didn't really. Didn't, we hadn't spoken anything about anything of that of going to Rooney or anything just had a chat, just met each other. And then I went back home, was playing at Richmond for a couple months, um, kind of thinking that was going to be maybe spending the rest of the season there and seeing where my rugby in England would go. Um, and then got the call up from Greg when he got the role um, and kind of asked me if, I, if I'd want to come over here and move out here for the year and see how the season went. Um, and it was a <laughs> pretty quick response from me. Um, yeah, it wasn't a hard decision at all. So yeah, just said agreed to it all and then yeah was flying out a couple of weeks later you know you, you you played at Cal under one of the um, legendary US coaches Jack Clark and 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 now you get to um, work with Greg McWilliams who was the attack coach at the last World Cup tell us a little bit about Greg as a coach and you know what what you like about his approach yeah I think um, I think the big thing is I found like especially in the preseason um, like he has like his uh, his incredible amount of detail in his train in his coaching. So I mean, for example, like someone like me, I mean, I've been, I feel I've been playing like rugby a lot for a long part of my life. Like one of my qualities, I'd say, is like things like my handing skills and stuff. But you know, immediately he watched me for one session and was able to break down what he thought was like what what he thought was wrong with my passing, my mechanics, um, but also highlighting what things I was doing well and stuff. So I immediately was like able to focus on really small parts of just my passing mechanics, for example. Um, and like, even in this last two month, two, three month period, like I've noticed a massive increase in my passing quality. Um, so that's just like one example, but I think, yeah, his big thing is just he, he's amazing at picking out details and players and being able to therefore bring the best out of them. Mate, you've got the, uh, the rattlesnakes from Atlanta this week. Have you had a chance to watch any film on Atlanta's first two games? Yeah, we have. Yeah, I've, yeah, we've we've gone through it. Um, I've been looking over at some of it as well. What are you expecting out of Atlanta this weekend, and uh, what are you looking for out of your own performance? Um, I think they're very disciplined, like especially in defence. You know, they have a very aggressive defence. Like they put put the attack under a lot of pressure. Um, so I assume they'll be doing the same against us. You know, it's going to be hard to for us to uh, you know attack cleanly, and you know we're going to have to take a bit more depth uh, in our game and stuff. So. I'll be expecting that. Um, but I think personally, just, you know, 
just try and build on on the on the good things that went went well on on Saturday, but also you know those mistakes that I had, just try and try and sort those out. And you know we've been working on those this week, so just come back this week as playing even better. Well, mate, super excited to watch you go again. Uh, Pete will explain to you. I I do tend to get a man crush every year, and, and you've kind of shot up my rankings for the year for the man crush. So. No pressure or anything, but it's a big deal. Brad Tucker last year was MVP of the league. So, again, Troy, no pressure, mate, but you've got a lot to live up to this year. Thank you. Well, appreciate you joining the show, mate. Looking forward to seeing you in action again this week. And uh, I think we have a Rooney game actually coming up on CBS shortly. So it'd be good to catch up in person and see some of those magic tricks. Thanks again for joining, Troy. Uh, Player of the Week, Troy Lockyer from uh, Rugby United New York. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Pete, uh, really, I mean, the try from the set piece is what stood out for me, but just looks to be a, a real, really good athlete, a great finisher, and could be that X factor that Rooney have been looking for. Yeah, I mean, he's a, a big guy, he's 6'2", um, but he's got skills, right? So he's not, he's not just a basher, runs some great lines. Yeah, it's interesting him saying that he's a 15, because I think it's sort of the more modern 15, Right, so a player that can like take the ball in the air, be physical in the contact, and uh, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see how um, Greg McWilliams um, integrates Troy as he goes throughout the season. And it's a long season. I expect you know, hopefully, we'll get a chance to see him at 15 um, when they're giving uh, Ben Foden a bit of a break. Yeah, I agree. Actually, I it's funny. I saw a lot of Chris Latham in him, which is kind of ironic. Now he's coaching the Utah Warriors, watching him play. Big, strong guy with that long stride and, and runs really aggressive lines. I'm like, man, he reminds me a lot of Chris Latham back when he was playing fullback for the Wallabies. But no time for Chris Latham, obviously, the the, uh, the All Blacks being the team that they are, Israel Dag fan. So no problem, Troy. We, you can't win them all, mate. So we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll give him a passing on that. Hey, Pete, let's jump into the games from the weekend because like, like we said, uh, a massive weekend for MLR. The Vegas Showcase, four games out there in Vegas. We had a bunch of other games as well. So let's start with New England against Utah. And that man we just mentioned, Chris Latham, he gets his first win in Major League Rugby. Utah come back strong, 39-33 over New England. What was your take on this game? Well, you know, this was a, this was a really interesting game. I mean, I think we've, what, what we learned was the Free Jacks are, are a good team. That can compete. I mean, they, they, they won a game last week. Everyone said, well, New York didn't look, look like their best. But early on, they looked like a real, real quality team that Utah um, wasn't able to handle. But then, you know, Utah found their feet and they got into it. I think that um, it's interesting when you look at the final stats, how dominant Utah were. Um, you know, they have 61% possession, 61% possession, 59% um, territory. They're on, they have the ball for 18 minutes, and the Free Jacks had only um, had it only for seven. But the Free Jacks were actually really, um, uh, you know, really uh, effective early on with the ball. Like they used it very effectively. They scored very quickly, but they weren't able to live with um, Utah in the second half. And I actually think that you know, and we're gonna. This is, I think, going to be a bit of a theme down as, as as we get through it, which is this idea of penalties. Um, you know, uh, the Free Jacks had two yellow cards um, and the penalty count uh, 16 to not very much. Is that, is, is that what I 
I yeah, six, 16 to 8, I think, was the final count. So that's how, that's how you lose that territory and you lose the uh, um, possession battle so easily is because of the penalty count. And those penalties, like, they really, you know, almost, you know, over half of their penalties, including both yellow cards, were in the second half. Yeah. Again, a tight, tight game, especially when you look at the stats for New England to be that close. Uh, it goes to show they did start that game very well, but credit to Utah. What a great second half. And that try that Michael Basker scored late where Whippy and Gannon Moore linked up was just outstanding. I, I urge you to get onto the Major League Rugby socials and watch that top five tries and, and stay around for that number one because it was an absolute beauty. And, and, and Josh Whippy is one of these guys. I just want him to have an injury-free season. He is such a talent. And you see it in these bursts, but he's had he's been played with injury through the first two years of Major League Rugby. So he's hoping for an injury-free season because that guy is a stud. All right, mate. Let's go on to uh, the Lockyer game now. It was Rooney and it was the AGs, my uh, Gilgroniacs. My fellow Gilgroniacs, we, uh, we were drowning our sorrows in the Gilgronies after this one when it looked like we may mount a comeback late. 49-31 was the final score. Rooney run out. Pretty convincing winners in the end uh, over Austin there. Pete, your, your initial thoughts on this one? Yeah, never, never really in doubt, right? It was, it, like, this was a game. I think Austin showed a lot of character to come back, but I think that, um, you know... New York settled down. Like it looked like more like a, um, a, a, the New York team that we saw previously. I think that we, uh, um, you know, they were able to, uh, um, you know, uh, take their opportunities. I thought Carl Sumption had an amazing game. I mean, you know, this is another guy that struggled with the, um, with, with injuries. And, you know, I want to pull up this stat for Nate Brately because I'm happy. The last couple of years, Dan, we haven't had um, ruck stats, but this year we have. And um, Nate Brakely had 40 ruck arrivals. So that's that's attacking ruck arrivals, and he had seven defending ruck arrivals. And I remember. It, it, like his work rate is is off the charts. I remember talking to a couple of Rooney players last year that said, like, Ross Deacon and Nate Brakely are those glue players. Um, and he's great in the line-out, obviously an, an international player. And I think that, um, you know, they, uh, um, you know, with Brakely and Sumption playing so well, I think it was really, really hard for Austin. But, you know, um, I think, I mean, I think Austin can feel happy, right? I think Brent Simmons can say, look, we, we showed, we, we got our four tries. We got a bonus point. There was a whole bunch of stuff that we, that we can walk away with and say, hey, you know, we're, we're doing well. And, you know, they're hoping to get some of their cavalry coming in from overseas that will help them kind of take these like games where they can feel good about improving performance and actually turn them into, into competitive games. Now, Pete, you're, you're one of the sharpest rugby minds I've had the pleasure of talking to and coached for a long time at a high level. One of the things that I've always kind of noticed on well-coached sides is the ability to make adjustments on where you had shortcomings the week before. They didn't control territory against the Free Jacks. But then I look at the two stats that stood out for me were kicking meters, almost 100 meters, actually over 100 meters more than Austin. And they controlled 63% of the territory. I think they saw that their kicking game wasn't adequate enough in week one. And they've made the adjustments and it worked in week two. I don't know if you kind of felt the same way with those stats or, or uh, 
Yeah. You, I, you just keep the throw praise your way and just take it. No, no. I mean, I think that, look, I think um, Cahill Marsh is a, is a really, really good fly half, but I think they were able to, um, to, to do that because they were able to control the game a little bit more um, in the set piece. So remember against um, New England, they weren't able to control the scrum. But here, you know, both scrums were, were, were pretty solid. It was 80% completion, which is actually, like, like pretty high. So, you know, in both the scrum and the line-out, New York had slight edge. That allowed the fly half, Cahill Marsh, to be able to control the game. And so I think that, I think that that's, you know, one of, the, one of the critical pieces. And let's also recognize that, you know, Austin were really on the back foot early and they just gave away penalty after penalty after penalty. And so that allowed them to get that territory and that, and that possession. And I think that discipline issue early on. I mean, I think Austin, let me, let me look. Austin had, um, oh, I'm just trying to, they had, Austin had 13 penalties and I think nine of them, Actually, ten of them were in the first half. Oh wow! Yeah, so so like you can't be in the game when you're giving away ten penalties and you have two yellow cards. It just isn't like it. It just so so that's you know that's a problem that that, that they're going to look at. And you know most of those were were like tackle contest issues, like not rolling away or coming in on the side. You know these are um, these are very preventable penalties um, if you're smart about it. Yeah, agreed. Agreed on all fronts. Mate, moving on, Houston, Toronto, Toronto, 27-22. Just to give everyone a little look behind the curtain, you and I were watching this game, and in the first half, I think I may have said to you, this is going to get ugly. This this could end up 50, as Toronto just looked outstanding. And then uh, we went to the stadium, right? We got into an Uber, and all of a sudden we pulled the game up, and... Houston have fought back and they had the ball with a couple of minutes left and were pressing on the line. We were like, what What the heck happened? And uh, a chance to win it late. I think you blamed the backs for not knowing how to move properly and get the ball to the back and got held up. But, man, this turned into a great game when it looked like Toronto pretty much had the, the you know, the cakewalk lined up there in the first half, Pete. It, I mean, I mean it, it was. I mean, I thought Toronto in that first half looked like the Toronto that we thought we were going to see, which was great execution. Um, you know, they've got some, like, I think Thomas De La Vega looks like a great, uh, you know, flanker. Um, I think that they, you know, they just looked really, really sharp and it looked like Houston couldn't live with them. But then Houston, to be fair, came back and and and, you know, didn't just make it a game. You could argue that they, they, they should have at least tied it or, and, and had a kick to win it. Um, and I'm going to, you know, I, I said there's a bit of a theme and, and the theme here again is penalties. And so I'm going to come down. So Toronto had 17 penalties and um, 13 of them were in the second half. I mean, it's like, it's, 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 that's just like, that's in, inexcusable in terms of like having that lack of discipline. I, I, you know, and I don't want to talk for Toronto players, like, because when you're in this situation, you don't know, it felt like there was a bit of a letdown. It felt like they thought they had it in. And fair plays to, um, to uh, Houston, they, you know, they, they picked it up. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still loving, uh, you know, Diego Fortuny. Like, that guy looks like he's a, um, he's a great hooker. But, you know, not great kicking from Windsor today. And 
only three tries. And Houston, I think, for us, is one of those teams that's going to be fighting for that third spot in the conference. And bonus points is going to be important. So they got one bonus point for finishing um, within seven. But another try and those two bonus points, they, those are the things that are going to be the difference between making the playoffs and not making the playoffs. Yeah. It was such a fascinating game. And then diving into the, the stats, it's you can take positives for both sides and then negatives for both sides. So for Toronto, Chris Silverthorne has to go, you know what? Sometimes you've got to win games that are ugly and you're not going to play well. And I think this is a, a prime example of Toronto having the ability to win a game that really they didn't deserve to win in the end. 41% possession, 37% territory over 80 minutes. If, if I showed you just the stats and you looked through them, I said, hey, you don't know what the score is, who won this game? I think you say Houston won this game. You know, they completed 92% of their tackles, only had 10 misses, 28 misses for Toronto. Oh, yeah. I mean, Toronto everything kind of points towards this That's why, Dan, yeah. sorry, that's why I, I feel like there might have been a mindset shift because I think their defense was just poor in the second half. It felt like, like that's one of the areas that you'll see with teams when they let down is their willingness to put their body on the line and, you know, 28 missed tackles. That's a lot. Yeah. And to be up so convincingly so early and not come away with a bonus point on top of the win, you know, I think there'll be plenty to work on. And it'll be interesting. We'll jump into the games this week, but they face a huge challenge this week in, in a wounded defending champion too, Pete. So Chris Silverthorne will, will make sure that mindset is switched on. All right, mate. Next game uh, was actually the game out in Washington, D.C., but that... Was that uh, team of the week? Was Old Glory, Aaron, real quickly? Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. I mean... So we'll, we'll do that one last. We'll come back to that one and do that last and talk about that game. Because that, uh, that was a great game, I think. It was, so game of the week, pretty much, if we, if we take the team of the week into account. So Colorado, San Diego. You and I both were pretty certain that San Diego were going to win this. And that's the way it pretty much fell. Colorado, oof, the Raptors 0-2. actually had uh, one of their fans come up to me during the week. He lives up north of Denver, and I ran into him, and, and he was like, what is going on with the Raptors? And, you know, they've, they've enjoyed such a successful run over the last decade that they find themselves in a pretty unique situation here, Pete. Yeah, I mean, this wasn't actually that great a game of rugby. It was pretty stop-start. It didn't have a lot of flow. But let, let's give the Raptors some credit. I mean, I think it was like, it was the, the, like, in the 62nd or 63rd minute, they were, it was 36-24. So they were within 12, and they had the ball inside San Diego's 22, right? And it was, that, that's what this game was, that, that's what this game was about. This game was about the opportunities that you took. Like, San Diego are just ruthless, right? They just took a bunch of, like, when, you know, when they made the breaks, they had players on their shoulder to be able to pass through their running lines were awesome and um you know i thought that they you know they they really like executed when they had the opportunities and the raptors just look a little a little tentative um like new players new systems they're learning like i don't consider this to be sort of the dave williams raptors right i mean you know pete bollays was the assistant last year but you can see lots of turnovers Lots of new players, but they were in this game, and it was a couple of late tries that I think you know really made this um, scoreline a bit flattering. 
Yeah, I agree. And you've, you've been touching on this a lot tonight in, in the show, Pete. Penalties. 17 penalties against the Raptors to seven for San Diego. Just too high a number there on the infringements. And this one was pretty much spread out throughout the game. They, they infringed not in 40 minutes like some of those other sides that you saw that. They were pretty consistent throughout the game getting penalized there. So uh, a lot of them pretty simple discipline kind of at the breakdown right. penalties as well. I, I will say, though, that the Raptors, I think, were showing us a blueprint about how to break down the San Diego defense. And we're going to talk a little bit, and I'm going to get a little nerdy around the Atlanta defense, the game that we called. Um, San Diego's is a little bit different, but it's very similar. Um, and you could see um, it was a Rene Ranger. At the, in, you know, it was funny because both teams had their all-black inside center, Mononu for San Diego and Rene Ranger for Colorado, throwing long skip passes out to the outside back to the wings and the fullback to get outside the defensive edge. So you, you, you actually saw multiple times Colorado find the space out wide against San Diego, but just not able to execute. The pass wasn't quite there. And then you also saw Colorado make the adjustment for those long passes on Manonu, one of which um, Mika Kruse intercepted because he had read it. He goes, okay, we now know what they're trying to do. Um, Marnonu takes it up to the line and he throws a flat pass. I'm going to shoot that pass. And that's what he was able to do. And that's what led, um, that's what led to the try. But I thought it was interesting. Both of them were using the great handling of their all-black inside center to play with that width. All right, mate. You ready to get nerdy? I'm ready to get nerdy. All right. 22-10. Atlanta on the road over Nola Gold. CBS Game of the Week. You and I were down there. And if you would have asked me on the plane while I was staring at the back of your head in first class, if this was going to be a low-scoring game, I could have said absolutely not. These two are going to let that ball sing. But we got a low-scoring game, and conditions were tough. It was a drizzly rain throughout the the night down there, so conditions were tough. But, man, I'd come away from that game, Pete, so impressed with uh, Coach Lawrence and the ATL, you know, the rattlesnakes, as they've been dubbed now. Okay, so let's, 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 let's get a little nerdy about this game. This was the game that we called. And actually, as I've thought about it a little bit more, I can get even more. I mean, I didn't get that nerdy on the, on the show, but maybe I should have. So, so let's just talk a little bit about some of the stats that we see, right? So um, Nola had 59% of possession, right? So they dominated possession, but they only had 42% of territory. And, if, and, and in the game, it was a drizzly game. There was a lot of kicking, right? Most of the stats that you look at, are pretty similar, right? So um, the uh, Atlanta, now they made 205 tackles, which is a lot of tackles, but they were at 92%. Um, Notice defense was also good. They made 121 tackles and they were at 90%, um, 90% tackles made. You know, look at penalties, a few more penalties, notice 12 to eight, but not the discrepancies that we've seen in, 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 in some, of the, uh, some of the others. Now the big difference is in kicks right, in the, in the number of kicks, but still not, maybe not a big difference. So um, uh, Atlanta kicked a, um, a little bit more than Nola, but they were both kicking quite a bit. But let's go down to the big, um, the big issue, right? So um, Atlanta in their attack got over the gain line 57% of the time. And Nola on their attack got over the gain line only 36. Now 36 is really, really low. So let's talk about if I can, Dan, if I can get a little nerdy with you on why that is. So defenses fundamentally take away space, right? And you really have to make a choice about the space that you take away. 
you're going to take away off the, you know, your choice is really are you going to take away the space in front right so are you going to launch really hard and apply pressure or are you going to take away the space that's wide because if you take away the space in front and you launch really hard you leave that space out wide and that's actually what we were talking about in the last game in the colorado san diego game they were using long passes to get the ball outside of the defensive wall right because both of those defenses launch square and take that space away in front what atlanta does and dan you might recognize this with your rugby league background is they play a different kind of defense it's a defense that i love it's a defense that i've coached for a long time right i stole it from peter Bagetta. but basically it's a bit of a rugby league defense and what they do is they stretch their defensive line out to the edge of the attack so there is no space around the outside right and so what they do is then they launch now what you would think is well if they're that wide there's got to be space in between them the challenge there's a couple of challenges with that one is if you're really well coached, you keep your hip square and you can turn in, which is something that most rugby union defenses don't do. Defenders don't turn in on the ball. But in this defense, everyone, like if someone goes into a hole, the outside defender turns in on the ball, right? That allows you to launch really, really hard and not worry about anything around the outside. Now, there are ways to beat this, but it wasn't something that Nola really showed that they could do in that game. You have to beat it by playing right at the right at the uh, um, in, in the face of the defense by having multiple runners by making that ball carrier turn in when that runner doesn't have the ball which creates space on the outside of them that's fundamentally how you beat that defense but for a second game of a franchise to play a defense against what we know is a great attack man this is going to ask questions i'm fascinated to see how teams play against this defense as the season goes on was that yes, enough? That was really good. And then, you know, Scott Lawrence uh, has created a very, very difficult puzzle for other teams to try to figure out. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure if you're going to have uh, the ability to, to kind of get through that defense. You may just have to kind of outmuscle them and wear them down. Um, see, and- I, see, see, the challenge with that, I'm going to get a little nerdy with you. The challenge with that is you're up against two shoulders. So you've got both the inside the defend, inside defender and the outside defender putting the shoulder on the ball carrier. And that's why it's really, really hard to outmuscle it. And you can see it in some, some of the individual stats, right? So um, Nola had 16 dominant tackles, which is pretty good. Um, uh, Atlanta had 35 dominant tackles. And it, they have those dominant tackles because you're putting two shoulders on that ball carrier there's it's really hard i mean you, you're right you like you know what i saw with no is they were a little bit high when you're a little bit high against this defense it's it's done right um it also puts you in a great position to contest and so the ability of um uh, you know nola only had fastball 45 percent of the time in the ruck and uh um atlanta had 67 percent of the time like so it's a really really hard now it takes a huge commitment it requires, you know, just like in rugby league, it requires a huge amount of conditioning because you have to reload constantly and launch square because as soon as you lose that launch, you're in trouble. But it was impressive. Yeah, I, I came away from that super impressed with their defense. They almost, and, and I know there's a, always a, the rivalry between the two codes, but there's a lot of wrestle in rugby league and I kind of noticed a little bit of wrestle with those two shoulders. They would hit, but their priority was 
A, stopping the Nola attacker, but then there was a little bit of wrestle in their tackle where they would hold them up and wouldn't try to get them to the ground immediately to help that defensive line reload, get reset. Then they would get them down and slow the ball. It got messy. They didn't get penalised a lot, though. I thought they did a good job of getting out of there once they got them to the ground so they didn't get penalised. But it was, you know, that good three, four Mississippis before Nola could actually get themselves to the balls to get it out. And Scott Gale, like, probably didn't get to play as fast as he wanted to because Atlanta were doing a good job. So that's going to be, that's going to be fun to watch them. Yeah, and I think I think Nola like like if um, JP Eloff comes back and they can take Carl Meyer, who I was really impressed with on, on the game, they can put him back in the centers. That's going to help them because that does put a big body that can punch some holes and also can run some lines. It's like I think that you can't just be up, like you just can't be a big guy. You got to be a big big guy that runs some lines. You need to have some playmakers. You know, I think you know I I actually. For Nola, I think this might, might have been really good for them. Um, the weather wasn't great. I think with better weather, they'd have probably had a, a greater chance of playing a little quicker. But it's great for them early on. Remember last year, they started, they came out like, like gangbusters. They won, I think, their first eight games in a row and then kind of fell off the cliff. And I think it's hard to keep teams motivated if, if you win like that. So, so a loss like this... Um, is 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 probably it's probably a good time in the season because there's stuff stuff for they for them to work on, but it certainly puts Atlanta you know as one of those teams that you're like in the playoffs they're going to be a real handful. Yeah, we we could honestly I think talk for another twenty minutes on this game. There were so many parts of it that were kind of. But it wasn't. It was interesting. It was not a great game of rugby. There was no. It was not. No, no, not. It was not, a lot of but very it was viewer so friendly, interesting. wasn't. <laughs> but, well, I tell you, we the team of the week was Old Glory. What a game for them. They. Chris on the, the home ground with a win over the defending champs, the Seattle Seawolves, 28 points to 22. And Pete, have you had a chance to watch this game yet? I have, have a ch- I have had a chance to watch this game. What do you think? I want to get well, it from, from the super coach first. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, um, I, I actually, I'm not sure this game was as close as, uh, as the score suggests. I mean, definitely... Seattle showed some national championship attitude to be able to come back and basically will themselves back into the game. It was one of the games where they got held over the line. Um, but, you know, let, let me just, like, we'll go to the stats and then we'll talk a little bit about why this is true. So um, they had 53% of the possession and um, 58% of the territory. Um, and they had 16, you know, and, and they had more attacking minutes. And yet, as I come down, um, they won 43% of their scrums. I mean, it was like, it, like the scrum was a, a, like a disaster. I mean, it, was, it, was, it was interesting. I think Aaron and I were, you know, were having this discussion about, right, if you, I think Aaron on, on, on Twitter sort of was like, hey, if you could bring in one player, what would it be? Yeah. And, you know, yeah. they brought in the, and, and, and it was a, you know, and, and, it, and it's a loose head prop. Now, a loose head prop in the way it works in the scrum isn't as important as the tight head scrum. Prop is still important, but isn't quite as impactful. So you wouldn't expect that um, the beast to come in and be able to shore up the scrum, although they did have some better scrums, um, but it was obviously a big struggle for them. Uh, but they actually, I think they, have, they might have the, um, the most exciting halfback pairing in the league, right? So they have um, 
uh, Danny uh, Tusitala, right, who's uh, um, Samoan. And they have um, Jason Robertson, who, you know, I think put his hand up for player of the week. I think Troy Lockyer did, did, had an amazing game. But, but so did Jason Robinson. And these two guys together, um, Tusitala was able to move that ball quickly. And Jason Robinson, I mean, it wasn't just the fact he scored two tries, right? And, um, you, know, or, um, you know, or was able to, like, create the space. It was actually the way he controlled the game super impressed with with him and thought you know and it was interesting i'm like well this is a really interesting let, let me look at this guy's background like he's played um Maida 10 he went to japan he's always wanted a super rugby contract and normally guys that haven't played sort of in the pro 14 or in the premiership or in the super rugby like like to get to that standard you've got to be really special and you really shine here but he's only five seven and a five seven fly half that's hard Right. I mean, in, in, in the modern game, that guy is tackling, you know, six foot three, six foot four back row forwards. And I think he's got all the skills to be um, an elite fly half um, anywhere in the world. He's just a little bit undersized, but you could see the skills in play um, in that game. He loves to run too, doesn't he? He's a, he's a real run first kind of fly half, loves his carries, loves his touches. But once the teammates like your DTSs and, uh, you know, um, who's, uh, who is it I'm thinking of here? Tanana, his winger as well, gets gets in and starts running off through his blind, blind wing. I think it's going to be uh, beneficial for them. But I agree with you. I, I was surprised that the score was so close at the end. You know, five Brockstaller penalties just go to show the class of Seattle to keep it that close. But I don't think they were at any stage really... You know, they had a chance to steal it very late at the end there and got held up, but definitely didn't deserve to win that game. Uh, it was old glory's day. Yeah, and I and, and I think that you know while um, uh, the uh, this the scrum was a strength, their lineout for Seattle was a problem. They had a couple of lineouts that were great attacking platforms where they either lost the ball or um, or they just didn't win it cleanly, and that's that's been a problem for them. Um, Seattle have lost the seawall. You know, so, so to me, when I look back at year one, I feel like the reason why the seawall was so strong was because um, they had uh, um, Billy uh, Tolotau and they had um, Aladdin Shermer in the back row. And they're both grafters, which means at the tackle contest, they're really working hard to get into the, to slow the ball down. And the ability to slow that ball down is the thing that, is, that allowed the wall to be built. It allowed them to... Um, uh, uh, you know, have their launch, and now you know, Old Glory runs. You know, of their ball, they they were sixty percent fast. I mean, that's less than three seconds. That's not slowing the ball down. Um, Seattle were only forty-seven. They've lost that ability um, for the tackle contest. I think it might actually be Dan. I think they've lost a little bit of balance in their back row. I mean, I think your guy Brad Tucker. Not you know, they're playing him at second row. Uh, you know, they were they were up against Nakatini today, right? Happy Nakatini played with them last year. I'm not sure that they've replaced him. And they've got some good ball runners and good defenders, but I don't know in that back row, they've got guys that like love to graft in that contact. And I think that's going to be, the, they need to find that if they want to rebuild that season. I know he didn't play a lot last year, but uh, I just wonder like losing Aladdin Shermer as well, uh, energetic guy around the breakdown, what that kind of means to them. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they've got Tolotau now at hooker, right? Which tells you that they've probably got some 
some depth issues. And I think depth issues is one of the things that Old Glory are going to, you know, that, that might rear their head. I mean, if you look at their back line, you know, um, Tanana, like, basically the last five minutes came off. Everyone else played all the minutes. Most of their subs played less than 20, um, except for Matt Houston that we know is, is solid. It's obvious, obvious to me that they don't feel like they've got a huge amount of depth. Um, so their starting 15 is is really strong, but after that, I think it's going to be um, I think it's going to be a bit of a, a bit of a challenge. Um, yeah. But you know, I, I think their scrum's going to get better. I mean, the beast turned up on Thursday, had a practice, was impactful um, around the field. You could see him; he was lifting everyone. I think a week of scrum practice, and you're going to see everyone raise their game. Um, you know, in the scrum. So I think their scrum will, will get better, but the depth in the backs is a problem. Yeah. Yep. And, and again, we won't know until we know, right? As the season, the attrition kicks in from the season. We'll get to see depth. Some people will come out of nowhere that we've never heard of before and have great years uh, after being overlooked initially at the start of the year. And, you know, teams will fall off like Nola Gold did last year. So it uh, will keep things interesting. Yeah, and I, I want to recognise one more person in old glow, in old old glow, old gold, which is Mungo Mason. Old glory, old glory, old glory, old gold, old gold. There you go, Pete Steinberg, a merger between Nola and uh, Washington yeah. DC coming out. Sorry, old glory. Thank you. So it took me like five times to get that right. I mean, this guy had one heck of a game. He had 15 ball carries for 143. This is a this is an open side flanker. He had four tackle breaks, and that's almost unheard of. Um, he missed a couple of tackles, but he made 11. He had 25 attacking ruck entries and six. I mean, he's like, you know, I, I talk about people that love the work. This guy loves the work and loves the ball in the hand, and he loves the tackle. This is a guy to watch. For the so, so where would Mungo Mason be if his visa for season one had gotten approved for San Diego? Oh, interesting. Interesting. Um, probably not playing for, um, what are they called? Old Glory. So, but that, that guy, that guy's a stud. And um, he's, he's someone, that back row with Travis Larson and um, Fernando Schultz, I think is a really, really solid back row. So if they can get that scrum sorted out and they can stay healthy in the backs, this is a team that can compete. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, big guy. Let's jump into our preview and our tips for this week. Uh, we kick things off on Saturday at 6 Eastern. It's the Colorado Raptors at home, back to Infinity Park, taking on New Orleans Gold. So 0-2 Raptors taking on the 1-1 one one Nola Gold. What's your thoughts on this one? So... You know, I, like I said, when you looked at Colorado and you looked, you, you, when you look at the final score, you're like, they got blown out. But if you actually looked at the game, they were able to stay with San Diego, which is no mean feat. Like, yeah, they had an inter interception try that made it close, but, but they were able to play. They still don't look as functional as a team as they'd be in the past. And I think um, Nola Gold is going to want to come out and really put in a good performance after last week. I, think, I still think Colorado scrums a bit of a weakness. I think it's a bit of a challenge for them. So I think I'm going to go with um, Nola Gold. I think this is going to be something like, even, even with the Raptors and their home, home field um, advantage, um, I think the home field advantage gets them a few points, but not enough points. 
Um, I think this is going to be Nola Gold, uh, 34, Colorado, 28. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, Nola Gold will bounce back here, even though it's on the road. Uh, I don't know. What, what's the weather this weekend in Denver, mate? Are we, it's supposed snowing to, it's now. to get a little, It's snowing right now, but it's supposed to get a little better once it goes into the weekend. Okay, so that'll probably suit Nola as well coming up here. But Nola, too strong. What do you think? 32-28, was that where you were? Something like that. Yeah, I'll go the same. 32-28, why not? Oh, why man. not? I know, I parody. first on this one because this is your team. Oh, well, this, You're a this, this is a tough one. This is a tough one because game two, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, it's Utah Warriors down in Austin at Bold Stadium. And I am I am a Gilgroniac. I have, uh, you know, I've, I've Nailed my uh, my colours to that mask. With Penny. Year. Penny is also a Gilgroniac. That's right. That's right. Uh, Penelope, your daughter, has chosen the Gilgroniac. So, but if, you know, you know, we, I'm in good company. Yeah, yeah. we've been playing rugby and, you know, we come down. She goes, I'm Austin and you're USA. And this is having spent, like, uh, two days watching all the Major League Rugby games. So, I, I, you know, I think there's something about the colour of those jerseys that, like, really, like, touched her, I think. We'll see if she still likes burn orange when she's about 18 and shopping for clothes. I'm guessing maybe not. But uh, this is tough. Utah Warriors, every time I tip them, I feel like they lose. They break my heart. But uh, I am a Gilgroniac. But, uh, oh, oh, information. On oh, this hang one. on. What? Jamie McIntosh, prop, played for a bunch of teams. Powell, most recently, just got in for Austin. Okay, I saw the photo with uh, Roland Suniula, right? So can he play? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Why not? I'm going for the Gilgroniacs. Let's stay strong. I think I'll just tip them every week, no matter what now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it was, it was certainly, um, I think it's a little bit like, uh, you know, always choosing B on the multiple choice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, um, oh, right, school so, was great. Yeah, yeah, you're going to go with for the Gilgroni um, for the Gilgronies. I am going to go for the Warriors. I actually liked what I saw from the Warriors. I think Chris Latham is is doing a good job. I think they'll come out with some, um, you know, uh, with some confidence. You know, we have to recognise that teams are going to start to get a little tired with their travel. But it wasn't a long way for Utah. In fact, Utah and Vegas had the largest crowd. Um, because it wasn't it wasn't too far for Utah, so I think that's going to be on their side. I mean, we I love that stadium down there at Bold. I hope I hope that um, the Austin fans embrace it. I hope that um, they get some good fans in there. Um, you know, they have a light show. They've got fireworks. They're they're, they're doing everything right. But I don't think even with um, a new prop, which is useful, it's not the prop that they've really got the problems. I think it's really at fly half. I think um, Elan Puddick is doing his best there, but he's not a fly half. Um, and I think that's the challenge that they have. I think that Utah will win this. I think they'll. I, I don't think it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be very, very tight. Um, so I think they're going to win um, twenty to sixteen. And also, we can't all just like select the same thing, right? Yeah, yeah, that was kind of funny, wasn't it? But um, not planned. And uh, I, I went three and three again. So obviously, I'm. I should just give up. I should, you know what? I might have Penelope do my picks this week on that one. I'll, I'll give you a call and see what she likes. Pick, pick the favorite colors and we'll go from there. I know she's going to go for the Gilgroniac, so I can stay with that one. All right, moving on. Still on Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern. So same time as the Warriors and the Gilgronies. It'll be Old Glory taking on the Houston Sabercats down there in Houston. 
And Pete, this is a this is a tough one because another really dominant scrum in terms of the Saber Cats coming in to Old Glory, who did seem to fix things a little bit in the second half of the scrum, but still not as solid as you would like. Man, this is this is this is a tough one. I mean, I love all these tough these tough selections, right? I mean, there are so few week in week out that you're just like, yeah, this team is going to win. Like, you know. I think in all of these, there might only be one game where I'm like, you know, I'll I'll, I'll put some money on on which team's going to win here. So this one, I think, is a bit of a toss-up. We're still learning a lot about both teams. Um, I I actually like the halfback pairings of both. I think Houston um, have a stronger scrum. I think they look uh, a little bit better um, um, outside. I also think that this is a game where um, Old Glory's lack of depth is going to hurt them. I think that they're, you know, my prediction, I'm going to be really specific, is that um, Old Glory are going to be leading with 20 minutes to go and Houston are going to show that they're a second-half team and come back and win it. And they're going to win it 31-29. This time they're going to get the ball down over (laughs) their backs of practice. How to move. Yeah. I wonder if that is going to happen down at, uh, at Houston whether Healy's going to have them out there with those backs running those mall drills to finish practice. Um, you went for Houston, right, to come back at the end there and win that one? Okay. I just, I just, you know what? Ten dies here an extra week. I'll go, I'll go against you again. And again, I'm, I'm quite a ways behind you, I think. I think I'm like three or four games back already. So I'll go for Old Glory. To spring an upset on the road over Houston down there, thirty-one uh, twenty-eight, another another close one. You know, you know, it's funny. Is is that an upset? Like I'm looking, like I don't know if that. I don't know. That's people, the problem. Yeah, really like, like that's what's great about this. I don't know. I wouldn't call either of those an upset. I would say these are two teams that are both like with you know growing into the season that both have the ability to win, and I think we're going to see the bounce of the ball like a dropped, you know, we saw it with Seattle, right, um, in, in the game. We didn't even talk about it, but sort of like Matt Turner and Brock Stoller, both both dropping balls, both, that was like the game, right? And and so you're going to see games like that. So I don't know that it's, it's, it's an upset, except it's the away team. That's all. Let's get on to this next game. This, 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 this is a good one for us to pick, right? We're not picking this one. We're, We're not, not going to touch it. it. Right, right. No. We'll do it off air again and then uh... – uh, we were both wrong last week. We both went for New Orleans and uh, Atlanta shut us down. So. so this game is what, Dan? It's uh... Toronto at Seattle, CBS game of the week. And I think it's still actually going to be TSN up in Canada. I don't think they have access to a lot of CBS sports up there. So uh, this this one, Pete. Uh, am I going first? I'm going first on this one. But, but you're, not, you're, not, you're not calling it, right? Yeah, this is me and you. Yeah, so 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 you can go first on this one, but we're not going to call the game. Oh my god, what am I doing? Yeah, um, not calling it one. Going to be a great game. Seattle backs against the wall. Toronto, two and zero, and have uh, looked convincing. They'll be they'll be sharp after that disappointing second half against Houston. Really excited for this one, Pete. Nothing. What? Pete, what do what? you think about it? What do you think about it? <laughs> just what do you think about the game? You don't have to give me an answer. I just like okay. oh. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited about this game. Like I, I just think there's a lot of learning. I think, you know, and, and you actually mentioned this, I can't remember if it was last week or whether it was um on, on, on the call, 
um, in New Orleans, which by the way, their stadium there is phenomenal. They're doing great stuff down there. Um, but but you, you mentioned that this is the first time that Seattle have started their season on the road. And it's two games on the road. Normally they get to um, play at home. They have Starfire. That's definitely a home field advantage. It's a long way for Toronto, right? It's the third weekend in a row that Toronto have, have, have to travel. You know, we, we expect Seattle to improve. I, I, I have to say something about Seattle. Can they please put Shalom Sinione at 12? Right? They've been saying George, George Barton at 12 and, 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 and Sinione at 13. And if you look back over the last two years, having Suniola at 12 has been so important for them. Whenever he hasn't played at 12, they've always struggled, right? So when you can put him at 12, it gives you a second playmaker. It gets someone to organize the defense. Obviously, Scott Dean backing up Ben Seema. Like, Ben Seema comes back. That's going to be a big boost um, in, for, for Seattle. I think, I think they've, lost, they've missed him. I think JP has missed him. But when you've got Scott Dean at 10, and then your second playmaker that can help him is all the way out at 13. That's not, that's not helping. So I think that's, that's an issue for, for, for Toronto. It's going to be about Mike Shepard. Mike Shepard got a red card in the last game. So it'd be interesting to hear what the disciplinary committee does for that. That normally comes with like four to six weeks out. So um, they'll be missing Mike Shepard. Mike Shepard is really, really important for them. Um, so, you know, that'll be one of the questions. I, I think this is going to be a great game. Um, I've really enjoyed watching Toronto play. I think they play some, some, some great rugby. Um, I think Seattle are ready to play their best game of the season. They're still not out of it. It's a long season. And, you know, I think they'll play their best game of the season um, uh, in front of their home crowd. What I'm not sure about is I'm not sure that that's going to be good enough against a very good Toronto team. And they've been kind of fortunate with the exception of San Diego. No one in the West has really run away with San Diego. So second and third still wide open there. They're not that. They're a game back, basically, from the rest of the field. So, yeah, it's a long, yeah. long season. They have to play all the teams they're competing with. I, you're, you're right. I mean, I think in, in the West, people are probably already recognizing that, um, you know, they're looking to play for those second and third spots. And, 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 and remember, we've talked about this before. Seattle started their preseason late. Right. And, you know, one of the one of those things was to basically prevent burnout. So that means that they're about a month behind. You can see it in their lineouts and, and, and their lack of execution. They're about a month behind all the other teams. But they're hoping that that pays dividends at the end of the season. If and you, if you think about this a little bit, if you think about this a little bit, Seattle has not started in the history of Major League Rugby. They didn't have good starts to either season. Last year they started two and two, and I think this in season one it was one and one. They lost at home in the marquee game against the Raptors in season one. So I think Dan and I called that game. Yeah, you're right. They did. It was a long time between losses at home for them too. Yeah, I think that, that I think that may still be the only one. They had the draw against the Warriors last year. I don't think anyone's beaten them at home. San Diego the beat won. them at home. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, they lost both games to San Diego. Oh, you're right. Yep. Yep. God, that's why you're the best, Aaron. What would I do without you? Just make all these false statements and claims on this podcast and never get checked for it. But, uh, yeah, that one's going to be a good one. We won't make a pick. We'll make it off air. Aaron can make fun of us later for it. All right, moving on. Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern, New York down at Atlanta. And because uh, well, I kind of dodged the bullet on the Toronto-Seattle one, Pete, I will do this one first. Uh, I'm going to go for Atlanta. I think that defense... 
just outstanding. Kirk Coleman, another game under his belt after a pretty long layoff. I was really impressed with him. You threw Jason Robinson out as another candidate for player of the week. I thought Kirk Coleman could have been in the discussions as well. He was great against New Orleans. So Atlanta down there, Scott Lawrence, that defense. Until I see someone really put a dent in it, it's going to be tough to tip against them. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, New York is uh, – I think this will be a good game. Um, you know, Greg McWilliams is a very, very smart coach. Um, he'll have a little bit – you know, in, in, in Atlanta's first game, you know, we talked about their defense and how they wanted to stretch. In, in Atlanta's first game, they got a little bit tight, so you didn't see it fully. Obviously, Scott Lawrence has worked on that. Now, it's, now he's got that wide um, defensive wall that he wants. Greg McWilliams would have seen that. I think he's got some players like Cahill Marsh that can play close to the line. Um, he's got some great runners. We, you know, we have, um, uh, <clears throat> you know, we have Lockyer. We've got Ben Foden. Um, they've got some really nice outside players. We know New York have had injuries. Um, they've had some challenges in terms of getting some players in. So I'm also going with Atlanta. Um, I think this will be another low-scoring game. I love the way Kurt Coleman plays flat to the line, but I think New York would also be up to the challenge in the scrum and the lineout. So I'm going to say. Uh, you know, I'm going to call Atlanta and I'm going to say it's uh, um, 24-20. Yeah, I think it'll be low scoring again, that defense and will be outstanding. All right, moving on to Sunday night. It's New England at San Diego on Fox Sports 2. And New England, I'm not sure if you uh, picked this up today, Pete, a couple of new investors in Nate Ebner and uh, Patrick Chung. So two New England Patriots players. Everyone knows Nate Ebner, obviously, was in the Olympics with the Sevens program. But uh, Pat Chung, one of the defensive players and teammates of Nate Ebner, he's uh, invested in some rugby. So exciting stuff there to see some NFL athletes uh, who don't have a, a direct tie to rugby get involved. Well, I think we, we might see more of this. I mean, you know, it, as, as, as a major league sport, um, major league rugby is relatively cheap to get into. And you've got guys that, that, that are earning, you know, seven figures. They're gonna you know, like. They might be interested in being owners of a of a sport that's that that's on the up. And I think that's what you. I mean, look, um, you know, I've I've um, you know, I've spent some time with 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 Nate Ebner when um, I went to Rio with the women. Um, I also think I may have coached him like a U eighteen camp back in the day. Uh, I mean, just such a great guy, a great rugby guy. He loves rugby. Um, you know, no surprise that that he's getting in. But it was interesting to hear some of the comments of um, Pat Chung today where he talked about how, you know, he's really um, learned an appreciation for, for, for rugby, the chaos and, and the special kind of people that are involved. So that was very, very cool to play. And anything that can help raise the profile of the teams and the sport in general um, is great. So getting um, big time uh, sport players, sport athletes involved would be, uh, would be great. I know I saw some, some people saying, well, you know, do you think we'll see Nate Ebner, uh, you know, uh, putting on his jersey and, and, and playing for the for the free jacks I, i'm i'm not so sure there's there's still some money for him to be earned i think in the nfl and it's uh um you know uh, uh, some significant multiples of what he can earn in major league rugby dan are you there pete how would you be playing a game with a part owner and he misses a tackle, do you say something or not? <laughs> <laughs> Nate, Nate misses a tackle and you're like, mate, time to pick your game up here. He needs you to make those one-on-ones. And he's, he's like, like, he's like, your you're cut. 
well, we've got to make a pick for this game and New England on the road for the third week in a row. They go Vegas, Vegas, San Diego. So at least they got some good weather. But uh, not picking against San Diego at home, Pete. Are you? I'll, I'll go the Legion at home. You know, I, I think that um, one of the one of the very very smart things that San Diego did is that they um, picked up Paul Mullen for their for their tight head prop. He, he started the last two games. Um, you know, that's the replacement Paddy Ryan. Now, now, now Mullen's not as good around the field, but he's a tremendous scrummager, and that's what they're going to need against the Free Jacks. The Free Jacks have a, have a very very good scrum. And, you know, as long as San Diego can, can match up with them, I think they have too much firepower. And, and the big question is, are we going to see um, Peterson step out on the field for the first time? Only their best player last year who hasn't even played. Dylan Audsley had a great game at fullback with the ball in hand, but he is not as good a game manager and not as good a kicker and not as good a playmaker. And so once Peterson's back there, um, you know, it, it, it becomes a different ball game with the ability for them to be able to control territory um, and to have attacking options out wide. Yeah, I agree. How about that? Having Joe Peterson in your back pocket, just waiting. Just to, and yeah. I know he's, he's, he's on the older side of things, obviously, but in terms of game management, it'll be similar to Kurt Morath when he turns up in Austin. Probably won't offer a lot in terms of a dynamic fire half, but game management, which is exactly what the Gilgronies need. And then for San Diego, so much talent down there just and to bring that experience yeah, in. I mean, but, but, you know, so last year Peterson played fly half, but I don't think he's going to play fly half. I think he's going to be slotting in at fullback, which is his natural position, because Burton has started really well at fly half. And I don't think, I don't think um, you know, I think Peterson can step in there if needed. But last year they had to do a lot of kind of unusual structures to get Joe Peterson out wide with the ball in his hand to be a playmaker out wide, which is what he does really, really well. And um, this year with Burton, they can do that more naturally by having him at fullback. Yeah, he'll wear, he'll wear 15. I, I agree with you on that. But as soon as uh, set piece and they move into face play, he'll be stepping the first receiver quite a lot, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Two, two playmakers are always better than one. And, and Marnonu's a play, playmaker. I mean, they're all playmakers, right? I mean, it's, yeah. that, that, that team is going to be tough. And it, it's, you know, the other thing I would say, we've talked about depth. You know, when you look at the players that um, are on the bench for San Diego. You've got guys like Ben Mitchell and Peter Malcolm who have been starters for other teams, right? These yeah. are maybe yeah. starters, but they're on the bench. And I think that's probably the thing, you know, if San Diego win it all, they, they certainly have an amazing top 15, but I think they're as immune as any team in the league to injury. Yeah. You go on San Diego, right? Just to be... <laughs> yeah, I, I've yeah. Heard you. I'm going to but but I'm excited to see New England and see what they do. Like like they're a team that's just interesting to watch them play. You know, they're obviously being well coached. They've got a great culture. Like you said, they they stayed um uh they stayed in Vegas for the week between their two games. Um, they flew home. They got some four days at home. They flew at. They're flying out to San Diego and then they're staying out on the West Coast. Um, for their next game. And so, um, you know, it's, it, it's been a bit rough, but on those, you know, it's a little bit like, like the tour, you've got that week away, you get that week, you know, you get, really get to know people. Um, and uh, I know the coaches there are going to be doing a lot of bonding with their team. So uh, it'll be, it, I'm excited to watch them go out and play the best that is, you know, the team that's playing the best right now in the league. Do we get any, uh, any reviews, Pete, in the last week? No, we've been asking for them. I don't know if we've got any, anything added on. Um, I, 
I, I haven't looked. I've been too. Put you under pressure. That was that I've, was, I've that was not a good thing. It, it, it's tough to be able to watch the six games and do that. But let's uh, let's let's make sure. And Aaron, you know, let's Aaron and I can do this because Dan obviously is is unable to. But let's uh, we'll we'll go back through whether it's on um, you know Stitcher or Google Play or iTunes. Leave a review if you want to leave a question or a statement, and you leave a five star review. We will read it out. Yeah, I, just, I just want more Steinberg for Prez ones. Yeah, I yeah. ran into Brendan <laughs> Shea down in Houston, and he still he thinks that's great that that got on the air, and we love Brendan and uh, the Rugby Pick and Podcast Boys. So it's uh, more Steinberg for Prez reviews, and we'll read them out. That sounds good. Uh, is it a guarantee, regardless of what they write, or do we, is there going to be some sort of filter? We got there, one. We there, got. Hey, one. we got. Do we need a Do we need a filter for it? Uh, no, it's uh, it's called "Can't Wait for Wednesdays" by Davy's Suitcase. No better place to get the juiciest MLR gossip and keep up with Dan Power's latest man crush. Oh, oh. yes. Oh, we just need a new sponsor now for my man crush of the week. It was the power matchup of the week last season. Man crush of the week. There, we'll work on the graphic and we'll work on the audio clip for it. But uh, thanks for review, Davy Suitcase. I think I know who that is too, and uh, I won't give away his identity. Though. You know, you know, when when we when we get a review from someone that we don't personally know, then maybe we've probably made it. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, it's like being in a band and then the only people that show up are your, your, you know, your family and your couple of friends. So we'll make it when we get to Wembley and we play in front of 60,000. Right? right. All right, Pete. It's been a big week. I'm sure you've got a lot to get through for this weekend. I will see you Saturday morning in Seattle. Well, I think I, think I see you at the airport in Denver on Saturday. Yeah, I just wanted to keep a bit of mystery in it for the people oh, at home. So okay. they're like, yeah. oh, wow. So I'll, I'll enjoy staring at the back of your head again for two and a half hours. <laughs> just, just for people that don't know, I offered Dan my first class seat and he literally turned it down because he was worried that I would make fun of him for taking my first class seat. So now I have to make fun of him for turning <laughs> the seat. In, in all fairness, I was torn. I, I was like a little kid who knew the repercussions of my actions were coming. And, but I still wanted to take the seat. But I'm like, no, I can't take the seat. So I do appreciate the offer. And it was a genuine offer. I do kid. I'm not making fun of Pete. He genuinely did it out of the goodness of his heart. And, but uh, you weren't a big dog, so you enjoy it. And I'll see you Saturday morning at Denver Airport. There we go. Show wrapped. Pete Steinberg, Aaron Castro. I'm Dan Power, MLR Kickoff Podcast. <laughs>